This is Talking Urology. This Talking Urology Ands Up 2018 conference highlight is proudly brought to you by Ipsen. Joseph Iskia chats to Professor Chris Sweeney, medical oncologist from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Harvard professor and lovable larrikin formerly from Australia. They discuss the pros and cons of intermittent versus continuous androgen deprivation for metastatic prostate cancer. I am lucky enough to be chatting with Chris Sweeney, who's come all the way over from the States. Although it doesn't take much to encourage you to fly across the Pacific to join us. Welcome to Ands Up. Can you give us some of the highlights of what your talk regarding intermittent versus continuous ADT? Well, the first highlight, Joe, is always having a chat with you on talk urology. <laughs> We've run through the script. All right, let's yeah. get what we actually have to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, best podcast face that we know on, on, the, on the podcast scene, don't we? So, Joe, um, yes, so this actually is a great forum. It's a very wonderful multidisciplinary forum, but it also engaging patients in the conversation about research agenda and the deficiencies of what our knowledge on how best to treat patients. And so there is a controversy, I think, of which men should have their hormonal therapy commenced and have a treatment break versus those who should be on it continuously. We've got studies that have combined patients that have a, just a rising PSA. They may have something on a PSMA PET, but nothing on conventional scans. And then the other extreme are patients who have high burden of disease and may have a poor response. So I feel there is a place to individualize who we should uh, put them on a course of treatment if they have a great response, if they're having side effects, both metabolic, gaining weight, poor blood sugar control, cardiovascular risk factors going up, or they're having significant psychological impairment from them. Some people get depressed, really de uh, despondent, especially if they lose libido, and they do enjoy getting their testosterone back. So I give it a go and uh, say to patients, if you have a good response, and we're having problems with it, we'll see how you go because you may be one of the few patients who do benefit. But when we put everyone's data into the mix, the individual patient experience gets mixed, get, gets missed. So just say then, just bring you back to your point of you think the ideal patient to stop it in. So just say you had a patient that was a very good responder, but very few side effects. Would you continue ADT in that person? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we have this notion and we're starting to learn that if a patient has just two bony metastases and they've, it's found a few years after their prostatectomy, not what the new, not a prostatectomy you did because none of your patients relapsed, Joe. Never. No, Never seen that. Have. No. So, but these are patients, if you, from the time you start their hormonal therapy to the time that they, on average, those men live longer than seven, eight years. So they will be rate, low testosterone for eight years or so. So um, I've had many patients and as uh, Declan Murphy, one of your colleagues describes, you've got a few, one patient is, that does well as an anecdote. And if you have multiple patients who do well in, the, in your case series, you call that anecdata. But I've had enough patients who I've treated for eight, nine, 10 years intermittently. And they all do report they have better vitality maybe not so much sexual functioning, but better vigor, vitality, and feel better. And I keep asking them, would you like a break? And I, I leave it up to them to decide. And many men who've had the experience and had many months off hormones and their testosterone does, some patients' testosterone does rebound very quickly. Some men basically have testicles of steel, it would appear. 
and uh, are very vibrant and enjoy their testosterone coming back. And I don't think it compromises their overall survival because they have better vitality, less cardiovascular risk factors, and are more functional and exercising more. Okay, so let's clarify that because that is for quite specifically the M1 metastatic disease. How about people that have nodal disease or PSA recurrence after uh, prostatectomy? Do you think that they're a different group of people? Because I, my understanding was that I thought M1, intermittent, bad, but PSA recurrence after treatment, intermittent, not inferior. Correct. So the... That's why I say there's, the data is somewhat confusing. It's At the end of the day, the M1 data set is said to be the definitive study, the SWOG study, not statistically conf- complete. But that's why I say when you have uncertainty like that, the patient individual experience, the more patients you treat, the more patients you know. But you're absolutely right. The patient with a rising PSA is someone who we don't even know if they need to start treatment for a rising PSA. So in that scenario, what I have done, rightfully or wrongfully, but I think it happens somewhat in, the, in Australia as well, access some novel PET imaging. In the United States, we have Axman, you have PSMA. Maybe give them a shot of radiation if we see something and a course of hormones and see if we can actually try and cure them in that setting, but that needs to be subject to a clinical trial. But that's one scenario. But if a patient has a slowly dribbling rising PSA, avoid starting the hormones, do periodic scans on an annual basis. And that's about maybe about a third of the patients who have a rising PSA after a prostatectomy or radiation. Another third will have a slowly rising PSA and then it will accelerate. And if their PSA doubling time is more than six months, it's not long before they'll see, you'll see something on a scan. But they're a type of patients we try to get on vaccine type trials, where we try and use non-hormonal hormonal therapy approach to slow down the progression. But if a patient has a PSA doubling time that's less than three months, their outlook is very similar to someone who has metastatic disease, as you can see on a scan. So um, again, individualize it of who I would start with hormonal therapy. But if they get a good remission, um, I'll stop their hormonal therapy. And if they're having a long time off the hormones, I will um, give them even uh, treatment breaks again to continue intermittent. But if they have a short time off of it, there's not much point doing the stop and start. But going to the metastatic setting again, remember how we're now seeing and using more potent hormonal therapies. We're getting more patients into deeper remissions, such as with a drug with abiraterone and prednisone that may get approval or listed in, the, in Australia fairly soon, especially if it goes generic and is much more affordable, you're gonna be having patients who have hypertension, long-term prednisone exposure, and having a deep remission. And I think it's gonna be even more imperative to give them those patients a treatment break such that you're not inducing diabetes and all the negative effects. And if they're having a great response and they're destined to live a long time, you're not going to induce other health issues that will compromise their life expectancy. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you very much. Well, if I've got a good face for podcasting, your talks are best represented in a photo. (laughs) Good work, Joe. Talking Urology at Anzup, proudly supported by Ibsen, 